We're more about just sucking knowledge out of your head. We're confusing you. Welcome to episode 77 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And on today's show, we have a very special guest with us, Alex Gemmel from London. Hey, Alex, how's it, how's it going? Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, real good. Well, I guess I can't say, Jason, how did you meet, uh, find Alex? Because yeah, you can stumble through this all by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Alex and myself used to work together in the UK. And uh, he's a great coder and also a great conversationalist. So I thought it'd be a really good idea to get him on the show. Um, on, but this is, this is not so much an interview show. It's more like a, a kind of... More of a chat. Yeah, an extended discussion show. Yeah, well, this is our first time uh, that we've had a guest on a discussion show. Yeah. Well, how, do, how does that feel? You must feel... Uh... Oh, well, I'm honoured. I'm absolutely honoured. <laughs> well, I already that feel like I'm great. suffocating for bandwidth. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you can't get a word in edgeways. I'm already feeling like I'm just not going to have enough airtime, so I'm a little frustrated. Okay, so who's going to bring up the first topic? Well, hey, well let's, uh, let's, uh, let's give a little background on Alex first. Okay. That's, uh, well, so, t- t- uh, Justin, tell... Tell us how you met Alex and how you know him and all that. Oh, that fa- that fateful day, the very first yep. time I laid eyes on Alex. Well, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was working in uh, in Reed Elsevier in the UK, and um, what year? Alex, what year was when was this? That's a good question. Oh what, God, what? six years ago, maybe seven. Yeah. In fact, why don't you why don't you tell the story? I think you tell it so well. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, we. Well, uh, I, I just started freelancing uh, as a PHP coder, and that yours was the first uh, freelance job that I got. And uh, I came and worked with you guys, and you, you were doing agile and uh, paired programming, which I'd never done before. Uh, and yeah, it was great. We, we I, I suddenly discovered a way, or rather, you showed the, me a, a way to work that that just blew me out of the water. It was just pro- a proper way of working agile. I'd never come across it before. We, we had a lot of fun. And it, it wasn't actually specifically me. I mean, that was um, like basically El- Elsevier themselves had, um, had hired ThoughtWorks, and that's Martin Fowler's company, yeah. Yeah. to show them the whole agile process. And um, they, uh, Elsevier really took it on board. Well, certainly the development, the section that we were working in, which was First Consult. And it, so it was a great learning for me as well. I mean, wait, wait, so Elsevier is a consulting company like um, ThoughtWorks? Oh, no. Elsevier is basically, let's say, it's kind of like the Microsoft of medical publishing, kind of 40,000 people, big company. Okay. All right. And um, they, they have lots of units and subdivisions in their company. And one of those units was First Consult, which is a medical reference tool. Okay. All so right. there was like 60, 60 people working in that company. Okay, and so and so first consult or Elsevier brought on ThoughtWorks or first yeah consult? ThoughtWorks. That, uh, Elsevier decided that they were going to do for, uh, first consult, run it as an agile project because they wanted to bring agile into Elsevier as a whole, and so first consult ended up being one of the test cases. Right, ThoughtWorks is kind of like they have a bunch of like badass developers over there, right? I mean, was it Martin Fowler? Was it the guy Uncle Bob? Is he like well known for, for the, who? What his name is? He's written a bunch of our like I don't know if it's a pragmatic programmer stuff or what, but. They have a bunch of guys, big big wigs over there. Oh, wow. This is the point. You're, you're about to tell me I should know about Uncle Bob, but I yeah. have no idea who he is. <laughs> I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same. When when people t- talk about, they drop all these names, uh, and I have no idea who half these people are. I really <laughs> don't. I, I just, uh, I think now I'm just going to start dropping them just to throw Justin off. <laughs> just make <laughs> make some up as well. Just get them all disoriented. 
um yeah well it, it was really good we worked for a few months on on first consult making this uh, medical site uh learned a hell of a lot um learned a hell of a lot from you justin you oh thanks you you led really well and uh we we then went on to uh, your next project you you moved on to do the uh, what do you know startup and uh, and i came along shortly after with you and and with uh, a good friend of mine will uh, as well yeah so that was when we started working on uh what you know and uh, that was basically um, a social network for knowledge. And I, I moved away from being um, senior developer from First Consult to, to basically being CTO of this, this new startup. And what you, what you know was kind of like a, uh, a Mahalo before Mahalo. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty similar to Mahalo before Mahalo, yeah. And, um, or maybe about. Was it, wasn't about.com kind of like that as well? Hey, um, Al, what about the, 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 the working environment, the way that we set up the, the whole room and the way we, we, we were pair programming and all that kind of stuff? Do you know what? Yeah, I loved it. And I was talking to Will. I, I work with Will a lot now. We're, we're currently, I'm, I've just finished a contract, so I'm actually not working uh, for anyone else at the moment. I'm going to take a, a month or two off to uh, start working on my own projects. And uh, nice. Oh, it's great. It's so good. And Will and I are working on, on a website at the moment. And we were talking about, oh, we really need to get a table tennis table in. We need to play some ping pong, <laughs> which is exactly what we had at War, you know. And it was so much fun. We, we knew, uh, you're really good at ping pong, Justin. And uh, <laughs> Will and I were terrible. Literally, we barely knew how to hold the bat. And with, by uh, about six months later, we were frustrating you with how good we had gotten. We, were, we finally managed to give you a game. It was brilliant. Oh, bloody hell. Alex got really good at it. It was depressing. Yeah, well, it wasn't like a whole lot of coding was going on. No, see, see, a lot of coding was going on, and, and to be honest, the best, ultimately, the best use of the the table tennis table ended up being um, as the project planning board. That's so true. Yeah, we had all our cards <laughs> all over it. Yeah. Right. Do, well, do you know the way that agile works, Jason? Yeah, you know, I've done a little bit of the extreme programming stuff, but not in a big, not in a big setting. So, well, I've t- I've told you how I do extreme or pair programming, but it's sort of like remote extreme coding with uh, Guyon. Oh yeah, yeah. I share my desktop using vnc and we just talk over skype and that's how we've coded um for about four five years now oh, have, you, really have you seen the story card aspects of agile uh, i know what they are i've never used them myself so you just pretty much break out your project into small work units and and you put them on story cards and then essentially you can shuffle those story cards around and, and put them in different piles and that just helps you it's like a real lightweight and quick way to work out who's doing what Right, it's so good, and I've, I've honestly, ever since uh, well, you know, and, and Reed Elsevier, I haven't been to a company that's done it as well or anywhere near as well hmm. as 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 you as we all did. What what, uh, what do they what do they do? Well, generally, I've been working for media agencies, so they're you know they have huge clients. We're, we're building websites for you know some great ideas, wonderful creatives, uh, but the clients are obviously throwing a lot of money at, at these projects and these teams. Uh, which I get hired to to work with. And the client tends to change their mind a lot, and usually at the last minute. And um, it really, the the project managers are are going nuts trying to get things done, trying to organize things. And it just, it always seems to be like organized chaos, whereas Agile was just, it just took the pressure off. But wouldn't Agile make it easier to work in in that? I've always thought that, but I've never, no one's ever implemented it well. And I've been to many, some of the biggest agencies in the world, and they often hire you saying, um, oh, we do Agile, we have our 
about stand-up meetings in the morning. And that's pretty much it. That's the limit of their agile. You have a stand-up meeting in the morning and then it's just chaos, chaos, chaos. <laughs> right, I see. <laughs> that's nuts. So Alex, you know, the, the, the way I remember you most, I, I guess the way that I, I kind of re, um, first remember hearing your uh, name or knowing your name was when you left a comment on uh, <laughs> the, uh, was it the UFO interview? The one with Richard Nolan? Oh. Yeah, no, I love, I'm all about UFOs. So I'm, <laughs> your, yeah, your thing. comment was best interview ever. <laughs> like, that's the best comment ever. So I, I'm just curious. So you actually like the, you like the, uh, the Dolan National UFOs and National Security State interview? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that was great. It was so nice to hear, you know, a, a rational human being having come at it, come at it from a, you know, a normal standpoint, no kind of crazy conspiracy theories. Uh, well, as far as you can go with UFOs, it's always touching on conspiracy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting just because, you know, we, we, took a, we took kind of a flyer on that interview. You know, obviously, no, we normally just stick to tech and startups, but it's, and we got kind of, a, we had a few people who were like, eh, you know, a little off topic for me, but it was interesting that that worked out. And your, your comment was one that struck me as like, okay, maybe this isn't such a bad idea. Maybe we can do this kind of, kind of stuff every once in a while. Yeah, it was fun. It was definitely fun. I, I, I've got to say, I've loved listening to the show and I'm not saying, just saying this cause I know Justin, uh, but I've been listening to the show pretty much from the start and, and absolutely loving it. So, um, you guys are doing a great job. Oh, well, well thanks J- a lot. Thanks Jason's a lot. doing a great job of um, <coughs> sourcing really interesting and uh, divergent guests as well. Yeah. I think that's helping to make the show really good. And he does a great job of talking as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, does yeah, a, yeah. he does a really good job of talking. Yeah, that's you know, true. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, is in my family, I'm not even the one who talks the most. I'm third. My, wow. My that's brother, why you talk. The, that's why you talk so much. Yeah. My, my just, older brother, Jay, if I get in a conversation with him on the phone, I basically I go, mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> for like two hours that's all i did um my 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 older sister natalie actually talks breathing in and out if you can imagine <laughs> that it is wow. unbelievable it's a it's just a wall of sound and you're just sitting there like smiling like i can't believe she's still talking <laughs> it's, just, it's just coming out it's so fast it's so constant i just i just don't even know what to say i'm just gonna sit here and just laugh just can, you, can you just put the phone down walk away make a cup of tea come back pick it up and they they haven't stopped Oh, absolutely. Oh, easily. Oh, w- yeah, way beyond that. My sister Natalie said, you know, I can't even imitate it because I have to breathe, but <laughs> yeah. So I've, um, I've got my blog online. I've created my blog um, and it's at justinvincent.com. And, and I've just posted a, a blog post called Let the Blog Race Begin. So did you see that, Jason? I did. So yeah, so you... You know, Alex, Justin, and I just made an agreement that we were going to each. Well, the initial idea was that we're each going to try to do a post a day for a month, but Justin yeah. morphed into who can get the most blog views in a month. So it's some combination of we both have to do at least one post a day, and we both have to, and I guess we're going to see who can get the most page views. Yeah. Right? So actually That's do so something. Cool. I like that. A bit of competition in there. That's good. But of course, the beauty is is that Jason, with his, um, his uh, let's say, insistent for creating his whole blog from scratch in HTML. Are you gonna Are you gonna have that ready by Monday? Put that up. Check that out for a size. I just skyped you. It's I, I'm almost done. I just got to write an about my first post, but I got the very first simple version. So, oh, wow, he's done I it. I like it. I like it. He's done it. It's <laughs> minimalist. Minimalist. That's right. Well, yeah, I, I want. I want. You know, they have like minimum viable product. This is minimum viable blog. It's my <laughs> MPB. 
MVP. <laughs> Minimum viable blog. Because it's like everything else is so, uh, you know, people have so much bullshit on their, on their, uh, on their blogs, and it totally goes away from the, you know, every, it, it's, it's funny because in one sense, you have everybody espousing how, you know, Apple is amazing at design, and it's so clean, and it's so simple, and does all this, me- all this kind of distracting mess on it, and then you look at everyone's blog, and it's just full of crap that nobody cares about. It's like, well, why do you have all that? It's just distracting, I think. So. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm impressed that you've actually built the blog, right? Yeah, well, so how long I, does that take you? so far well you know i probably worked on it a few hours yesterday but most of it was spent horsing around with the css you know right. you know and i mean like check it out what this font or how to align things up i mean you know in terms of actually like how long does it take to write a couple html and php pages and ftp them over i mean you know that's like a half hour tops most of it was just like you know trying to figure out what the de- mess around with the design okay i think so, the, the only time the only other times i've commented on on the blogs really is generally about me pulling my hair out that you <laughs> certain things that jason's been doing and and doing the blog on your own is just oh my god it's for me it's the it's a huge mistake it's a huge mistake well look i mean it's already done right yeah i'm gonna use discuss for the comments um you know i mean i'm I'm several weeks late in this right now and you're right it's done now and it looks fine it looks fine yeah so it's just keeping it up basically yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. I mean, my, my, my sense is that I just want to keep it simple. And I've just been really frustrated with um, the, the blog that we use to host the podcast because, you know, it, it, when it, just trying to get it to change it to the theme or make something look good, it's just been a nightmare. And it's like you really either have to be a WordPress CSX expert, which means you have to invest a lot of time into figuring out how to screw around with the templates and the CSS because they're not that trivial. And then, um, and if you can't find something you like, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And so Justin and I have just been kind of stuck with, you know, one crappy theme after another. We finally, Justin, found one that was kind of minimalist. Well, the, but the, the, only, the only thing I'd say about that is it's, it's not like we put actually more than half an hour into trying to change it. We didn't like spend days and days trying to change it. It was more like it was a heavy weight on our, on our minds for months and months. So it seemed like we put lots of effort, but I we guess actually so. didn't. But it was really... just frustrating. Well, every time I talked to you about it, you know, I was like, well, can we do this? You're like, oh, that's really hard. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's really hard. I mean, I guess I, t- no, I guess that's I just tried. Justin just trying to avoid doing the work. Yeah, exactly. It's probably true. So I just, I, I'm like, well, once he said, oh, like there was like a like reply. I wanted like a reply next to the comment so that I didn't have to do, type in like at Alex, you know, with your email or address or anything in it. Oh, yeah. I had to it automatically would do it on their, on our old theme. And I suggested, I'm like, Oh, can't you do that? And he's like, Oh, that's really hard. I'm like, you know, screw it. I'm not using this crap. This is pissing me off. Oh, that'll cost you. That'll cost yeah, you. pretty much. It's like, it's like Skypes me over a bill. <laughs> so, uh, so Al, you, um, Oh, just, let me just say one, I want to say one thing. Okay. You know, I just realized that one reason I may be more like this than, than other people is I've always built stuff from the, I've always worked by myself. I've never had to work on, um, existing code bases. So I've never had to come in and, and sort of work my way through anyone else's code. I only build my stuff from my own, from scratch, or at least from yeah. you know, a starting point. And so I, have, I guess I have a less of a tolerance and less of a comfort level reading and, and, and understanding and, and, and altering other people's code bases, which I think most programmers are probably have done quite a bit of that, and it's not such a big deal, but I just hate it. So but Sometimes building things from scratch is great because you know exactly how everything works. I mean, Justin, I remember working on, on your framework at well, you know that you built this thing from scratch, and you knew exactly where everything was obviously you built right. it um and 
you know, we as as the developers that we came on board, we had to learn your way of thinking and how you, uh, how your brain kind of worked, which is quite scary, uh, how to put, <laughs> put together websites. So, uh, yeah, there's always a learning curve, I think, into learning other people's frameworks and, and uh, whether that's WordPress or Symfony or whatever. But usually it's a, it's a big payoff because you save yourself a lot of time. What, what yeah. framework did you move on to after that? Just um, that cake? I've used Cake PHP in the past. We had a bit of a disaster project with that, so I've kind of been put off it. Uh, I'm reluctant to say it's a bad framework. I I think we just used it badly. Um, But I'm a massive fan of Symfony. I think Symfony's awesome. Uh, I've used the Zen framework before, and Zend and Symfony uh, have recently, in the last year or so, they they really in cahoots and they help each other. They give each other you know chunks of the code to use. So they're kind of there's two frameworks working in the same direction, which I think is just they're going to corner the market really in in your heavyweight framework. But um, for anything that's quick to throw out, Code Igniter. I still use Code Igniter. I mean, it's, it's old now. What's the difference between Code Igniter and and say, Symphony? Um, Symphony has so many tools built in. They've they've got things like Doctrine or Propel, these object, object relational mappers um, that they built themselves. Well, I don't think they built Propel. They, they built Doctrine. Um, it does so much for you. It has, they've integrated so many tools that will push your code up um, to, to your, I think it's rsync they've, they've incorporated to push your code up to different servers. You just do quick command line, uh, quick command line stuff to scaffold. It's very much like Ruby on Rails almost, uh, but right. for PHP. Um, so it's really, really quick, really, really powerful. But the learning curve's pretty steep. Um, but with Code Igniter, it's really your bare bones model view controller framework. Um, not so many tools in, in in the bucket, but it's um, but it's just so quick to throw things up. Would you right. say the Code Igniter was my framework was quite similar to Code Igniter? Do you know what? I can't really remember uh, your, your framework actually. I, I, I probably, yeah. Cause that was code igniter was, was what we were using at the time. And I think even as we worked on your framework, we probably would have incorporated chunks of code igniter into it. Yeah. Well, and for anyone who's confused what we're talking about, these are PHP frameworks. So if we have any yeah. non PHP programmers out there, that's what they are. Um, did you, what did you use before these frameworks? Did you just write code from scratch? Yeah. I used to write code from scratch, which, which is why I, why I feel, feel your pain. Jason, I can. I used to code myself into corners all the time. I, I'd get so far, and I'm like, "Crap! How, how the hell am I going to code my way out of this? I need to change twenty files." Right. Um, I, you know, you just get to a point where where you, you you didn't think of of where it was going. You know, or you couldn't know. Six months down the line, things have changed, and you're just like, "Oh my god! I, I don't have any room to move. It's going to be a nightmare to change anything." Right. But uh, these MVC frameworks, they, they they it's just a wonderful way to work. Right, and I want to throw one with disclaimer out there. Whenever I say how I do things, I'm not trying to say this is a prescription of how people should do things. You know, I'm just like this is what I do. I'm just being honest about what I do. Um, you know, Je- Justin is much more didactic, and that he likes to say this is the way people should work. I don't really care or know or, or want to know how other people work. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I do. You do whatever you want. That's all I say. I'm not trying to convince anyone. Everybody, you know, do whatever language framework methodology you like makes you happy. I think it's really good that you're doing this for your personal website. Absolutely, I think if you did it for your business one, yeah, uh, then you know if you're missing. I think I said this in the comments before. You're missing out on things like search 
which would actually be really useful for your client, for your customers to use. It. And mm-hmm. if you were having to code search from scratch, then you'd probably be banging your head against the wall because it is a, it's, it's an annoying thing to, to code, especially when several solutions exist out there which you can just easily use. Yeah, well, you know, um, that's what's an interesting point that because so much of why you do things or, or what what choices you make are based on um, context, right? So a lot of things that I do really are only make sense to me because they're my and my context. It's just me. It's my own thing. Nobody else is working on it, so I can do it a certain way. But that's why when I say I do things a certain way, I think some people interpret them that I'm doing it for clients or that I'm doing it working with groups of people, in which case they're like, Jason, that doesn't make any sense. But I'm not usually when I'm, uh, when I'm talking about what I'm doing, I'm talking working on my own personal project. So yeah, I, you're absolutely right. If you're, if you're building stuff for clients or you're working in a large company or, or whatever you want to use, you know, I think probably as much as you can use well-known and well-supported frameworks. Yeah, definitely. With my, my suggestion. So, but, um, yeah. Alex, one of the things that uh, I know you've worked on something quite interesting is for Formula One, a Formula One racing company. Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe, that's right. maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, it's I, I don't know if if the viewers are, are aware of Formula One. Uh, I think it's quite a British thing, although they do go abroad. It, it seems to be quite British centric. But um, it's like NASCAR, except for yeah, a- no, no, okay, okay. They have the um, they call them open wheel, right? So they have IndyCar over here. You know the GoDaddy ads, and and, and what's the uh, oh, yeah. the girl who's uh, they always have on the GoDaddy ads. She does it. Danica Patrick. Danica Patrick, right? And then they have NASCAR, which are like the stock car. They look like normal cars. Um, yeah. You know, just kind of souped up for racing. But um, Indy cars look kind of like Formula One. I did a little research on this because my my son Colby was was really enjoying watching some Indy car, and he was asking about Formula One, and I was like, I don't know what the difference is. And it turns out that like an Indy car costs maybe about a million dollars or something like that, <laughs> whereas like these Formula One cars are like hundreds of millions yeah. of dollars. And um, the the Indy car, I think, just runs. It's just like a American circuit, but the um, but the uh, Formula One, I guess, goes all over the world, right? They have different race in every different in all these different countries. Yeah, yeah, they do. And the tracks are all, you know, they're not just round. They go all over the place, and they sometimes have night races and stuff, which are, which are really cool. Right, because I guess the Formula One is a way for all of these car manufacturers to showcase their latest and greatest technology, right? Exactly, race car. It's all about getting their brand out there. We're the best car engine. We're the best car makers. You know, even I'm, I'm sure the technology eventually filters down to, to road cars. But right. so what did you do? What did you do for Formula One, Alex? Well, we I was working for a fantastic little agency called Pirata in in central London, um, and they they managed to pitch and get work for McLaren, with, uh, rather McLaren, Vodafone, Mercedes, uh, which is the name of the team, and. Right. Um, uh, they, it, it was a really good opportunity. They had been given permission to use the live car data being streamed because the cars broadcast basically as they're going around. They broadcast everything about them: the oil pressures, the tire pressures, the how far the wheel, the, the steering wheel is turned, the angle of that. Uh, you know what, what, how t- hot things are, the temperatures of everything. Uh, these the computers just record everything and they broadcast it to the back to the pits where they monitor everything and they can tell you to slow down because you're going to wear out your tires too soon and, and all of this and we we were given access to a very small but cool chunk of that data um as it was broadcast live around the track and they were like you know we want to put this on the site whenever the whenever there's a practice or or a, or a qualifying or a race uh, we want the site to show the cars going around the track 
So, I mean, it's just a fantastic opportunity for, for me as a coder to get that kind of live telemetry from the cars and somehow translate it into displaying it on, on the page. So what were the challenges? Earlier on, it was, uh, it was the, if, if I'm the back end developer. I had, there was a great guy, Kenneth, who worked on the front end. He was doing a lot of the JavaScript uh, to update the page um, and, and uh, make it display you know, really nicely. Uh, the, the challenges for me was, was connecting to their server and the, the data feed that, that, that I was getting was, was really quite raw. Um, and it was just passing that in a way uh, that, that, that made sense to me. Then I guess, I guess the ultimate challenge was, was people viewing the site. We, we were worried that so many, you know, so many people would view it that Apache wouldn't be fast enough to serve Apache web server. It wouldn't be fast enough to serve thousands of people hitting it. Uh, so I was trying to come up with clever ways to, to I've only got one live feed coming in. How was I going to split this up into a thousand, into giving it to thousands of people quickly? Um, and that, that was quite a challenge. It, it did my head in for a long time. I was trying loads of different things. Uh, I eventually settled on uh, having a PHP script um, run as a daemon on the server. So uh, we, we'd turn on the daemon, this little, this little script would just start pinging the uh, McLaren server, uh, listening for data coming in, uh, started passing it up. Oh, we had an ad- additional parameter which we weren't allowed to store the data. We weren't allowed to store any of it in the database. So once, oh, once it came to us, we, we broadcasted it out to the websites. And once it was gone, it was gone. You couldn't, you couldn't play back the data. Why? Uh, we weren't allowed to. We didn't own the data. Well, you think, you'd think that anybody who's subscribing to the website could write a program that could store it all easily, right? Well, yeah, ironically, a few weeks afterwards, people were loving it. The Formula One uh, petrol heads were absolutely loving it. And they started recording uh, the, the braking distances of the two drivers for the team and comparing it to each other. And they had all these stats going on. And, and by then, McLaren were, were so happy with the site, and the fact that it worked. They were like, no, nah, great. If, if the geeks are, are loving it, then we've got a hit. We've got a successful site. So. So Did, they're, they're no, what, what were you using to update the site? Were you using like Comet? Were you having real-time streaming um, updates of the uh, you know using JavaScript? Exactly, exactly. I, th- I think we did, did we use comment. I, I, I forget. Um, again, Kenneth did the front end stuff. He was, I think it was Comet, yeah. And he he would be pinging, uh, and we had to put a, an nginx server up just to serve that data. So nginx being a very high performance web server, uh, mm-hmm. much much faster than Apache, and so. Uh, in the browser, JavaScript would start pinging the Nginx server, looking for updates, and, and it would just wait uh, until uh, another every second we updated it, and we'd send chunks of data to to you know however thousands of people were were connected to the right. to the Nginx server. That's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, that's cool. So you guys want to get at some topics? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll tell you what. Why don't Why don't you start off with the topic, Jason? I'll start with one that's more of a technical uh, question. There's an article that I read called "Soft Deletes Are Bad." Okay, <laughs> the actual okay M apostrophe K. So I was I was one thing I was exploring for App Ignite was the idea of doing soft deletes versus hard deletes. And for anyone who's unfamiliar, a soft delete is when you don't actually delete a record. You just um, flip a, a, a you know, Boolean value from you know, is deleted to true. So that at some point later, you could 
purge it and actually do a hard delete, or you could do like a restore. An example of that might be sort of like in Gmail when you archive it as opposed to actually delete it. Right, you're just sort of changing, it, flipping a flag. Yeah. Um, but doing that, it's one thing to do that. At, you know, in a special case, like say in a, a you know a, your inbox in Gmail, but it's another thing to make that the standard you know position, which is everything has a is deleted flag as opposed to hard delete, because then you have you can have a lot of complexity in terms of rolling back things, because what is really the state of things? Because you because if a lot of times if one record is is related to a bunch of other records and they all get deleted and there's this complicated, you know, graph of relationships. And I'm just curious uh, what you guys have done in terms of that. Have, have you have you worked with soft deletes? Have you tried to experiment with it? What's your thoughts on that? Al, you go for it. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, hello? Um, <laughs> hello? <laughs> McFly? Um, Euler? <laughs> used, yeah, we've used, I imagine we used is deleted is true back in, in one, you know, it's, it's useful. I think it's useful. I think once you get your database gets to a certain size, you don't want to start deleting rows, especially lots of rows from the databases, especially MySQL, as it tends to slow it down. I mean, we're talking millions of rows here. If, you, if you're deleting a lot of things, it, it can slow it down because it has to re-index everything. Um, so a soft delete could be possibly a bit more efficient, just quickly update it, and then maybe when no, no one's using the site, you can go through and purge things. Um I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit. It probably doesn't affect me too much, so I, I haven't worried about it. The, what I'd say about it is that, um, from my perspective, soft deletes are easier. Ultimately, it's easier to do to, rather than do a real delete because, obviously, if you do, if you really do delete stuff, you've got to follow through the data integrity and make sure that you don't ha- leave any orphan records hanging around, right? But whereas with soft delete, you just basically you're just changing the state to you know unview this record well yeah so, what's, what's, what's interesting about that though justin is that you know if you if you if you start introducing this is deleted column to everything that starts really com- making all of your queries more complex that means you're gonna yeah. have to you're gonna have to do something using you're probably gonna have to use something like views or something to pre-filter out the is deleted records or something just so that you don't make a, so your queries don't become you know unnecessarily uh, cumbersome so with with uh well, you know uh, which is a, that's the social network around knowledge. We basically used a, sl- uh, <clears throat> a soft delete system, um, but with but and that's because basically, I, I think it's because it's like con- a content based system, and I think that's the reason why we did that. But with Plugio, uh, I do the hard delete method. So if someone deletes their account, it will go through and delete all of the records associated with that person. And I think that's just because it's just not it's not content based. So I think that's the reason why those two calls were made from my perspective. I don't know whether that sheds any light on it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think like a lot of things, it's just context. Specific, yeah. Right. In some cases, it probably makes more sense to have soft deletes than other, depending on the kind of data. I mean, obviously, like in an accounting system, you don't delete anything, right? You never delete. You can you have debits and credits or entries. You, you can't delete something. You just create an offsetting entry. Yeah. And so that's like the one extreme of like no deletes. And there are other things like, you know, your email, you know, your G- Gmail, for instance, you do a soft delete. But, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because if you use like, um, like, you know, I think, you know, for MySQL, you have the two database engines. You have my, my ISAM and um, InnoDB. Yeah. In InnoDB, you can do the on cascade delete and on cascade update. So you can, you, you know, because of foreign keys, you can do the on cascade delete. So you don't have to say, say you have a graph of relationships between a bunch of tables. You don't have to, you know, go through and delete and, and, and fire off four or five different delete statements to all these different tables based on their 
on their relationships, you can do an on cascade delete. And that's, on, that, that's my next that. question. I mean, cause I was also looking at that in terms of like what I should make the default, um, uh, engine for, um, for app ignite. Should I use my ISAM? It's, it's, it's sort of, it's known, it's, it's generally thought to be a little faster, but it doesn't have things like transactions or foreign keys or, yep. um, things like, um, you know the uh, the con cascade deletes. There's a few other things it has. I'm just curious. What what, what are your guy? What are your experiences with NOD uh, using NODB versus uh, MySAM? I would always use NODB. Definitely. Uh, I know MySAM's faster, uh, apparently. Um, but I think up to a certain point, you you probably wouldn't notice it unless you unless again unless your database is really really big. I wouldn't worry about it and just use if it if it has a feature you need, use it. So I th- I use Cascades all the time. I think they're great. Sometimes it's a bit scary when you know you delete a record and suddenly five other have deleted their records or related records as well. But as long as you set it up properly, uh, I think it's great. Yeah, definitely use an ODB. Do you tend to use the on Cascade deletes or do you do you yeah. explicit deletes? No, no, no. Yeah, cascades all the time. Hmm. Right, and you know, because I think, I mean, you know, it's it's like these things when you, when you read about benchmarks. It's like it really. I think it's context sensitive, uh, dependent, right? So whether you have, do you have five thousand rows or do you have five million rows? I mean, what's yeah. your relation? What's your ratio of reads versus writes? You know, or deletes? I mean, all those things affect it. I think, and so what may be really fast in some cases may not be such a you know, maybe really slow in other cases. So I think it's always, it's hard to say, well, my ISAM is so much faster because I was reading some article, they went through a bunch of benchmarks and it didn't seem like NODB is that much slower. And in some cases it's faster. And again, I, I think the general, this is the general rule, which again is is context specific, which is that, or, or depend on, on the context of it, but that if it's read heavy, then my ISAM tends to be faster. But if there's a lot of writes, then NODB is probably going to be better um so but the other question so justin well, what's your experience and what have you used as a default because you wrote the um easy was it easy sql was your open source library you wrote yeah it, easy easy sql easy sql but the thing is that that is completely agnostic really it, it doesn't care um which which of those two you use um so from from me writing that, that doesn't kind of shed any any light on it for me. But if you well, okay, so when your projects like Plugio and stuff, I and mean, what do you tend to do? You default to my Sam or NoDB or what do you? I do, and I, and I have to say, it's it's just that I don't. I, I mean, it you, you default like to Alex my that, you, you default to my Sam. You're saying I I do, and it sounds like Alex knows more about this than I do. I mean, to be honest, it's not something I've paid very much attention to, um, because none of the projects that I've worked on so far have got to the kind of um, scale where it really kind of mattered. Um, also, I, don't, I haven't had a friend who's basically said to me, hey, you know, check out InnoDB. That's really cool because of this Cascade stuff. But now that I have, it's something I'm going to look into. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think well, when I first know. started getting involved in, in databases and InnoDB had come had had been the new boy on the block and it was taking over my my ISAM. So I was looking into it and I just, I thought it was cool, the new features, and I, I haven't really looked back. Interesting. Now, okay, foreign keys, cascading deletes, transactions, um, and also I think it's like data integrity, right? I mean, it's something like um, like my ISAM table can sometimes just get corrupted data and you're screwed. Or NODB, that's much less likely to happen. Isn't that true? Well, I think the data integrity would be the the cascades. So if you you wouldn't be getting orphaned records if you if you deleted a user and all their articles in the article table still were still left there. I think that would be right. data integrity. So 
uh, yeah, you delete the user and you have a cascade on, on delete and you get rid of all their art as well, then, then your referential integrity is sound in that case. Right. So basically yep. it's true, it's true um, foreign keys versus the ISAM where you basically just pretending it's a foreign key yeah i mean you know you have a you have an id of a foreign table and it's really you're just you're 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 maintaining it through the, at the application layer your php yeah. code is making sure you're not screwing it up whereas you know db you know it's it's enforced uh, you know the thing is one thing it, uh, it allows you to do is is do is to um implement transactions and that's actually something i've never really done um what alex have you i have done that in with with oracle um, yeah but, um, I mean, is, is that something you're, you're thinking of doing for App Ignite? I mean, basically, what a transaction is, Jason, is that... Um, well, I, I know what it, it is. I'm just curious, like, in, in what instance... It, well, go ahead. Go, you go and explain it. Go ahead and explain it. At the, be- at the beginning of your script, you can basically... That, that is the sort of beginning of transactions. You, well, you, you can set up transactional blocks anyway, but the typical way to do it is at the beginning of your script, you essentially start uh, open transactions. And then you can commit a whole bunch of um, SQL to the, to the database... But it won't actually be acted on until you say, commit this transaction, at which point you, it will do all of those transactions, or you can just kind of roll back and get out of them. Well, if one of them fails, they all roll back, right? Isn't that right? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's very like good for it. failures. Very good for failures. Was, I think it was pretty much uh, the banking systems basically rely on it. Um, uh, because if, if you're trying to take money, move it across the world, and at some point, you know, a computer goes down, then they want to say, well, you know, don't just lose the money. It doesn't disappear into the ether. It actually gets, you know, taken back to the original bank. Right. So how would you use that for um, App, App Ignite? Oh, I don't know. You know, I mean, because one thing I, I was going through and I re- recently when I, I um, instead of just escaping um, your parameters for your SQL statements, I, I moved everything over to using prepared statements and using the PDO, the built-in PDO library, right. which, uh, you know, has prepared statements built in. So... That way, you're 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 really not going to be open to SQL injection. Um, and uh, when I was just kind of rethinking that stuff, I'm like, okay, what else can I do? What else should I be thinking about to make this generated code just flat out rock solid? Right? It's one thing when you write code yourself. It's another thing if you're writing code that's going to generate code for other people. <laughs> you want that generated code to just to be rock solid. You want people to look at it and go, dude. You know, SQL injection here. This is bad. This is bad. So I'm I'm trying to step back and really, you know, uh, think about all the things I should think about to make sure that it's high, really, really high quality generated code. So, um, like NoDB in place of my ISAM sounds like that's a, a little more of a stable, th- yeah. um, you know, uh, engine because you because of foreign keys and and, and things like that. Um, and I didn't know if transactions are even matter in, for web applications in most cases. It probably. I think. It would be pretty obvious when you need to use a transaction because uh, in your in your own head you'd be like, well, I, I'm making this this query here, and it's doing such and such, and then the next query is acting on that. But if this third query goes wrong, then I really didn't want to make the first query at all. And then you'd be like, right, okay, this sounds like a, a, a case for a transaction. So I'll, I'll I'll start open the transaction, make the three queries, and if at any point one of them goes wrong, it just undoes it all and takes you back to the beginning and perhaps throws an error to the user to tell them to try again later. Right now, have you have you used PDO or any of these? Um, I guess there's like a database abstraction layers, right? You have like PDO and ADO and ODBC. Are, yeah, are I, I mean, I, I try and use Doctrine as best I can. I'm a big fan of Doctrine, which is okay. Uh, and, and for people who don't know, Doctrine is an object relational mapper. It's norm. Yeah, um, and it's it's just awesome. I, I really love the way it works, especially with the MVC framework uh, frameworks. Um, I'm really getting into all of them, so. 
the way it ties into oh, well, it was pretty much built for symphony so the way it ties in is, is just great it tends to be i mean you probably wouldn't like it jason there's there's quite a lot of overhead involved when when you're putting all your models together and, and building it all up but once you're there it's so rock solid um right. I, I, it just really chimes with me I, I i love that kind of way of working well so that because you know because because doctrine one thing i'll say justin is doctrine rides on t- that's at a higher level so doctrine yeah. lower down probably uses pdo or ado or one of yes. those abstraction layers i'm not sure which absolutely one. i mean you you can tell doctrine how to connect to your database so that it, it could be a, a, a file on your drive, I mean, it really. That, hence the abstraction. It, it it doesn't really care. It has tons of options. You choose what kind of abstraction layer you want. You want it to connect to whichever database you want. So, what benefits does an ORM get get you versus using um, just SQL? An, an ORM is just ultimately an ORM is a, a bunch of scripts which um, I try and make the data abstraction layer a bit smarter and. It, it, it works as a bridge between your code, the, your business logic code, and the database. So uh, what I like about it is that I can have already created a bunch of tables, perhaps, in my database. And I can tell the doctrine, for instance, to look at that database, connect to it, and reverse engineer um, some stub model classes. And it will, it will scout, create my PHP um, model classes. So I, I got uh, two small other related questions I'd like to follow up with you guys on that I'm just thinking about um, before we leave the database topic. Okay, because we we have been on it for about 25 minutes. Oh, have we really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, jump, we'll move on to something else. So, Alex, you got a uh, you got something you want to bring up? Uh, no, I'll, I'll let you guys carry on. It's quite nice. It's like a, I'm listening to a live show. <laughs> so um gabriel weinberg who we interviewed like i don't know maybe six weeks ago a month six weeks ago um he had a really interesting post um called startup micro opportunities and what he what he describes is that you know in his first startup he said he had uh analysis paralysis um which means that he spent too much time thinking about things and not enough time sort of acting and taking advantage of opportunities and one thing he decided to do with DuckDuckGo is is take advantage of what are what he refers to as micro opportunities so like um if if there suddenly becomes a discussion in the blogosphere or hacker news or something about something that has some relation to search or something that he's doing with DuckDuckGo, he will then go and either become part of the conversation with DuckDuckGo or actually roll out maybe a, a, a quick feature or something that addresses that um, topic. And that in and of itself has, is, has helped him pick up a lot of traction. And, you know, and, and, and the, the thing about micro-opportunities is that they're micro, right? There's a small thing. So you're, you're staying on the critical path, right? I mean, you're, one concern with doing a startup or doing any project is that you get distracted and you go off and, and la-la land for weeks or months at a time and then finally reappear back on your project going, geez, what was I doing, right? And, and so you've you got to stay on it. You really need to stay focused. But at the same time, you, there can be small opportunities that you, can, that you can work on for a few hours or a day or something that actually have a huge payoff. And if you don't take advantage of those opportunities, because they don't always pop up, then you miss, um, they miss a chance to really pick up a lot of users or pick, or, or pick up some traction or some easy press. And I thought that was a really interesting to think, thing to think about because I think – we spend so much time trying to just stay focused, and, and it, but if you're too focused and you don't take advantage of opportunities, you're, you're sort of shortcutting yourself a little bit. Well, if you think about it, we do that by, by mistake in a sense. In the, 
in the way that we choose the guests for the show, because sometimes we will choose guests who are part of the current um, tech meme discussion. And, you know, the reason why we'll choose them is because they're, they're people of the moment, in a sense. Yeah, no, I think it's good for the show. And I'm just thinking, like, in terms of startups. I mean, I think... And I've had some ideas for App Ignite and, uh, that are sort of topical in that way of how I could create applications using App Ignite so quickly that, you know, something pops up as an issue or some of a problem that you could almost generate an application within minutes and maybe even, you know, spend a day, put a pretty face on it, and you have something that can take advantage of those kinds of... Um, well, it's like when it... I mean, the classic example is when Google Instant came out and then the guy, this guy created YouTube Instant. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, he gets then a job from, from YouTube. That's so. right. That's absolutely right. And it's like if you want to um, – and the are these are, if, you're, if you move fast, if you keep – if you stay aware of what's going on, so you're reading the news, you're, 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 you're following the conversations that are going on, you know, there will be opportunities to do things. Um, and, 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 and obviously the easiest thing to do for most people is just to write a quick blog post. Right, it's part of the diet. Mm-hmm. It'd be part of the conversation, and and if you're part of the conversation because people are interested in the in, in it, they they may very well read your read what you're saying, and therefore you pick up some some readers and and pick up some traction yourself. But you can also do it from a startup's perspective. I think if you can roll out features or or, or things that are related to it. Mm. No, I think that's good advice. I think very good advice. Cool. Um, so, okay, I, I, one thing I want to bring up before, before I forget is um, we got another nice write-up about the um, podcast from Mark Pearl over at geekswithblogs.net. That's <laughs> geekswithblogs.net, yeah. So he wrote a really, um, he really, uh, his tar- is the, 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 the title was Modeling Disruption, probably one of the best podcasts I've heard for a long time. Exclamation, wow. actually, with an exclamation point. So, um you know, it was kind of cool. Did you, uh, Alex, have you had a chance to listen to the, the the interview we did with with Thomas? No, I haven't, unfortunately. And I, I wanted to talk to you about your your new format, but I'll, I'll talk to you that in, in, in a bit. Yeah, okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll bring that next. So anyway, he, I guess, um, you know, Mark really, he, he found the, the ideas that Thomas is pushing forward based on his research to be really compelling or really interesting in that they actually explained why he didn't have more success in some of the stuff that he's worked on previously. And um, anyway, it was nice of him to um, to write such a nice uh, post about us. Uh, thanks, Mark. Really appreciate it. And again, anybody who's um, willing to uh, write a write a uh, blog post about us, we will be more than happy to uh, thank you and give you a shout out on the show. So thanks, Mark. Really appreciate it. Um, and the re- and the reason why you should do it is because we work hard. We work relentlessly. We're so passionate about this show, and we just want to bring valuable content to you. And all we're asking is for you to just do. A little blog post about us. Just here and there. <laughs> Every now and again. Sounds like, a, sounds like an infomercial. <laughs> Valuable <laughs> content. We're right. So uh, tell, you, you said you wanted to, uh, Alex, you said you wanted to bring up something about the, uh, the format. You said you wanted to talk about the format. Yeah, just the, the new format, your, your new day uh, shows. How, how do you feel that's been going? <laughs> I guess you're totally far behind. <laughs> I guess you're pretty far behind, right? Oh, really? So you decided not to do it? Well, we did it for a week. We initially yeah. the experiment was supposed to run two weeks, and about three days in, we both came to the independently. We both came to the same conclusion that it was not going to be sustainable. It was just taking no. up, you know, an hour and a half or more a day, and it was just exhausting. And- the, the 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 reason how it got there, we wanted to do it because we thought that we could do something in we we could do a chat show for fifteen minutes, 
And then I could basically edit that in between like five and 10 minutes. So the whole thing would, and then I could put it online and we'd have the whole thing done within half an hour. But as it turns out, you can't even get Jason to, to finish a sentence in 15 minutes. Yeah, right? I noticed the first show lasted half an hour. You're like, this is going to be over. <laughs> right. Well, that, uh, and a number, of our, uh, a number of our listeners commented that that was what was going to happen. So they were right. Yeah. They, they were, no, they were totally right. So basically, the shows just didn't make any sense unless they were at least half an hour. So we, so we did half an hour shows every day. But then what happened was we also just realized, well, we couldn't just wing it we had to put some thought into it we had to put some effort and at the end of the day the whole thing ended up taking about an hour and a half a day which is just way too much you know so you know and it it's just much more efficient for us to do an hour and a half show and then put that other hour and a half in it just once a week rather than do it every day that's so interesting because the the exactly what i wanted to say to you was uh that it wasn't working out for me i'm virtually reading my notes here um because i had trouble catching up with you shows i wasn't syncing with with itunes that often that i would miss and clearly i have missed a whole half a week's worth of shows um and so there's more overhead for me to download it and put it on um uh on my ipod because i didn't often have my computer with my ipod it would be in a different bag or, or, or whatever it, it just felt like there's more overhead for me now to actually get it to get the yeah. show so um, yeah, that's quite funny that you've you've come to the same conclusion. Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to make your listeners do more work, and you don't want to make them fall feel like they're falling behind. I mean, it's one thing to have like a radio show that people turn on when they're commuting or something, where it's like if you miss it, you're not like you're behind. But our show is the kind of thing that people wanted to stay sort of caught up with. So yeah. then you do fall behind, and then you get frustrated, and then you're like, ah, screw it. <laughs> I'm out. You know, it's like this TV shows like Lost or 24, the serial. They're like a serial format. So if you get five or six shows behind, you're almost, you fall off the wagon. You're like, I just can't, I can't keep up. I also think it kind of dilutes the value, right? Because, I mean, I know we're, we're not the same as Micropreneur. How do you, Micro, you say Micropreneur Academy. <laughs> Micropreneur Academy, Walling, right? Where, our buddy Rob. Where they just talk, they're essentially uh, talking about um, lessons, you know, and imparting knowledge. We're a bit more of a discussion show. We're more, still, we're uh, more about just sucking knowledge out of your head. We're confusing you. We're just, we're bringing entropy into the world. <laughs> we're not adding value for adding confusion. <laughs> I think that needs to be the jingle for our show. <laughs> well, I, I was actually, I meant to say, say for my, for my new blog, um, my new website, my tagline is going to be something like making the world, world more complex one line of code at a time. <laughs> okay, so d- do tell people what the what the address of your blog is. It's codisoperandi.com. I'll put a link to it. Codis up. Oh, codis up. Oh, so easy to spell. Well, so like, easy to remember. It's just like Modus. Yeah, oh, it's easy. Yeah. It's like I Modus. thought it was really good. I thought when you said that before, Codis, oh, that's clever. It's clever. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. Oh, thank you very much. Well, you know, Justin, I, I don't believe Justin when it comes to names anyway. I mean, he, he, he came up with emailgod.biz. So anybody who thinks that's cool. <laughs> You know, they're immediately discounted. <laughs> I just like forget it. You're not. That was a working title name. It was Anybody working thinks title. Biz is is a workable. You know, I, I actually thought of a good a good website with a dot biz ending, and What's it that? must be out there. I haven't checked. Show. Show dot biz. Show dot biz. Show biz. Oh yeah, show biz. Show dot biz. That is good. As in the Hollywood. That is, very, that is very clever. That is very clever. Showbiz. So I just thought, you know, Justin, you know, you're always talking about like uh, other show ideas, right? You know, because and one thing I was thinking about was, or, is that uh, a couple of our listeners got into a little bit of argument 
on our on the last blog in the comments, uh, ba- Bams and um, oh god, I, I forget his name. Let me just bring it, look it up. Do you know what I'm talking about, Justin? Uh, I th- I do. I kind of remember that it was a very small argument, like I think about two sentences long. So Bams and Helmut got you know argued just a little bit because uh, I, I guess Bams was talking about how I, I was asking yes or no questions again. Right. Oh, and Helmut yeah, was yeah, still yeah. in Bams to just like, you know, lay off the Jason. Lay off. So I appreciate. Thanks for sticking up with me, Helmut. I appreciate it. But I, I, I but Bams is, uh, Bams is a, is a, is a good guy. So I don't think he meant any. You've been a helmet that's protected Jason. That's right. <laughs> but, but, but I don't think. I don't think it. I, it's, that's okay. It's okay, Bams. I'm not. Uh, I'm not sweating it. I know. Uh, I know I need to work on my uh, questioning technique. So anyway, what we could do is we could just take it to the extreme, Justin, and I could have my own interview show called Yes or No with Jason Roberts. <laughs> that would be so cool. And you could get like really big people on like Obama. In fact, you know what you could do? You know what you could do? You, you could, in fact... Because, I mean, pretty much every famous person out there has said yes or no, and it's been recorded. <laughs> yeah, right? that's what I was thinking. <laughs> so yeah. you could just create your own show. You could talk, and then you could just... I'll ask, like, 15-minute questions. I'll go. I'll wax on for 15 minutes about some question, and it's yes. There yeah. yeah, just dub it Just dub in there, yes or no. <laughs> Pre-recorded yes. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. I'm happy to do the editing on that. I think we'll get a lot more listeners than it takes. <laughs> instead, of, instead of me trying to shorten up my questions, I mean, let's just take it to the extreme. <laughs> yes or no with Jason Roberts. So, anyway. Um, okay, so yeah. you guys want to move on to another topic? Yeah. Well, I think uh, Al- Alex should be bringing a topic. Well, he said on. he didn't have any. Do you have some? Okay, no, oh, he I've, did. I've he does have one. some, I've yeah. got one. Oh, all right, cool. Okay, cool. Um, have you guys heard about web widgets? You mean like the normal widgets that they've been in for the last? Is this something new, or is this the widgets that? I think it's. I think it's kind of new. It's kind of come in. I, I was at Future of Web Apps uh, last week, this two-day conference, which is which is really cool. And um, so it's, they were talking about five CSS three and and uh, all of that. And um, one of the things they they showed on the on the stage, and I, and I kind of didn't recognize it. I think it's fairly new. It was this thing called Web Widgets, and um, it basically it, it looks awesome. And it seems to be a kind of new standard for apps that run on various devices like smartphones. And it's it's almost the open source equivalent of iPhone apps or Android apps. Hmm. Um, I say open source, I guess, I guess they're all pretty open source. But the uh, but all, all it is, is is a website. So you're doing it in HTML, CSS, JavaScript. You zip that up. And you rename the the .zip to .wgt, as in widget, and uh, you can plonk it on your smartphone. Uh, not all phones support this yet, but apparently they're all pushing for this standard. And uh, and the the smartphone will treat it like a regular app. You know, it'll have a little icon on the home screen. You click on it, and it will run the app, basically rendering it using the browser engine um, to to render this app, which. Right. Which for me, as a web developer, is is awesome. It means I don't have to learn Cocoa, I don't have to learn Java to do Android apps or anything like that. I just carry on learning HTML5, CSS3, and and all the various APIs that they're that they're bringing out for geolocation. And uh, where do we find out about it? Where do we find out more? I, well, that's a good question. I get. I get um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah, no it's idea. not very well researched, is it? <laughs> well, I, I was listening to the talk and, and I was it really blew me away. Vodafone, which is a, I think is a British uh, or at least European uh, network. Do you get Vodafone in America? 
don't uh, think so. No, I don't I believe so. No. Uh, they're they're trying to bring it onto their network and their phones, their smartphones over here. Um, but it but it seems to be a kind of uh, you, you can also run these widgets on your desktop. So they they run like uh, you know the Mac dashboard dashboard widgets. They, they're basically that. So it sounds like the um, it sounds like a mythical concept. It'd be great if one of our listeners could uh, let us know where to where to look. Well, I, I'm a little confused here. So they're they're not an app. It's not a native app. And it doesn't run in a, it doesn't run on the iPhone the, on the iPhone or Android browser, right? It's it's a an, it's a program that runs runs it yeah, separately. Yeah, it, does, it right? doesn't run in the browser. Open the browser to run it, but it uses the browser's rendering engine to to run the app. So well, you don't need to open open the browser to run it. It's basically a website that that can run outside of the browser. Well, Justin, that's very similar to what you did using Titanium, and you essentially just wrote. Everything inside of WebKit, right? Yeah, WebKit. Oh, is it WebKit that you're talking about? Well, Web- WebKit is a browser rendering engine. So, so yeah, if you, if you've got a WebKit on it, it, it will run it. But yeah, type- is it basically a standard, like just like a standardized way of of making web little micro websites that that look like apps? Is that what it is? It, exactly, it's a standardized way of doing that. So you don't need to wrap it up. Titanium wouldn't be needed because you wouldn't need to wrap up your code in in these APIs that plug into the Android or, or the iPhone underlying native code. It would just run because it runs. So, so it it can hook into like something like an SQL like database on Android. Yeah, the, or local web storage which is the html5 uh, the, the the new storage uh, features in html5 um and- i see so ba- so basically it, it negates the need for something like titanium because what they're doing is they're directly hacking into webkit and saying that if you write a web if you write a little micro website in such a way that you will automatically have available to you api calls to the to all mobile platforms via this one kind of method it's not even mobile just a device whatever the device is that it's sat on. so it could be your desktop or, or yes a smartphone or i don't know whatever devices we bring out in the future it would the the device itself would have an, an api saying hey i've got a camera or hey i, I can send text messages and so you can mm. detect that with javascript and say oh, okay great you can send a text message uh, okay send a text message obviously privacy or, or would be a big issue permissions so there would be the whole paradigm of this app wants to send a text message will you let it hmm. that's interesting very very interesting so um as, as i say i mean if anyone can uh, post a link to that in the comments or maybe alex after the show you could you could help us yeah find I'll, that. I'll have a look for that so does it just, one last question about that. Does it have like an installer or something that so that it installs what's needed on iPhone on an iPhone no, versus an I'm, I'm I'm confused because if you're not launching in a browser, um, what is it that's actually being initiated when you click on it? Like if, in, in your okay, past? right. So what so what they're saying is is if I understand correctly, tell me if I'm wrong here, Alex. Is that um, let's let's say we have a WebKit on Android and we have WebKit on iPhone. They're, they're, they're trying to come up with a standard that when you have WebKit installed on any device, that APIs for that device will be available to JavaScript, just in any browser, basically. Yeah. So you will be able to access the camera just as long as you know what the JavaScript call is, that's mm-hmm. going to be available, and that will work on iPhone, it'll work on Yeah, Android, so this is just launching the instance of the browser effectively. Well, but no, the browser won't run itself. You won't see the Chrome of the browser. You wouldn't be able to go to another website. It would literally it only render your code 
using the browser engine to display whatever it is you're displaying. And you can have transparencies. It doesn't have to be a square web page. It could be a couple of round blobs, which you can touch or whatever you, your app does. Uh, if you see what I mean, you could, you, it doesn't have to be a square page and that takes up the full screen. It could just be a little uh, widget that takes up a quarter of the screen. Um, it would just be running whatever you, whatever code you decide to do. Right. Interesting. So, all right, we'll check it. We'll if if uh, you can find a link to it or if anyone can um, forward it to us and we'll put it on the site, I'd like to check it out. That's cool. I so well, I've got a question about the, uh, you said you watched the future, you went to the future web apps in London? Yeah, yeah. Hey, that, that That's always looked to me like to be a really fun conference. Is this your first time you've been there? It, it is my first time I went to the future of web apps. I went to the future of web design uh, three or four months ago, which is basically a, a sister conference um, run by the Carsonified uh, lot. Um, right. And uh, it, it's really well done. Great venue in London. Um, and uh, two, a couple of days plus a workshop day if you, if you wanted to go to it where you can learn, you know, get much more hands-on learning whatever it is they're offering you. Um, but yeah, the future of web apps this time was great. Two days of some very good talks. Uh, day two I found was much more technical, so much better for me. Um, but we had some great stuff. Um, uh, and I've got, I've got a few of them written here. There's, there were guys talking about the no SQL, the no SQL movement. Uh, we had a guy from tech meme and they, he talked about how MySQL was dying for them because they were trying to handle almost a billion tweets a day. And how they had mm. to move over to NoSQL servers, and how he was wow. saying that uh, you know the NoSQL mu- movement isn't isn't about relational databases. It's just you know relational databases such as MySQL. They have their place, and uh, NoSQL was was basically the next step. Once he got above, he he said once he got up above about five million rows, that's when he should start thinking about moving away from MySQL. Right. Um, but yeah, there was loads of great talks, and Web Widgets was one of them. Um, we had people from Flickr, uh, Thirty Seven Signals. We had Ryan Singer there from Thirty Seven Signals talking about their design process. Um, yeah, it was it was fantastic, really, really good. Oh, now, for how much does a, does a conference like that cost? Uh, cost me six hundred pounds, about so probably about a thousand dollars, I guess. And it was this just since you're a freelancer, I guess this came out of your own pocket, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and you felt, felt like it was worth it. I mean, uh, a lot of money. I so. went to it is a lot of money, and I and I went to Future Web Design uh, in the summer, and I really really enjoyed it. And I was I was a bit hesitant because I am a programmer, and I was thinking, oh, it's going to be full of designers, and it's not going to be necessarily relevant. But um, I was I was so impressed, of, and it it was still slightly technical, still sort of front end HTML. CSS, JavaScript, even though that's how that works with, with design. Um, so I thought, okay, I have to go to future web apps. Uh, it's it's going to be so much more up my alley. So did you, do you feel like that that $1,000 investment that you made was paid back through some of, some of the connections that you made? And it, is it useful in that kind of a way? Um, yes, no. I mean, I, I met the, the, the organizers, a few of them. I spoke to a lot of the, the speakers, um, there's a guy, Christian Hellman, who works for Yahoo. Uh, I've met him a couple of times now, uh, and he's he's just an absolute wizard, keeps up 
with the uh, the very cutting edge of, of JavaScript and HTML5, and the things that they they can do on their website is just it's just insane. And the examples they show you of HTML5 and where the web is going, it just blows your mind. It really does. Um, so uh, yeah, it was really exciting. Have Have you been to any other conferences like this? No, Future like, Web Web Design was the first one I've ever been to, and Future Web Apps the second. Right, and do you think you'll make it a regular thing? You'll you'll either attend this conference in particular next year or other conferences like it? Is this something you feel like, okay, this is, generally speaking, a very value, worth the money? Plus, I mean, it's quite a lot of money. Future of uh, Going to two of them in the same year was probably a mistake because there's a bit of overlap. Uh, a couple of the speakers did the same talks, which was still very good, but they, they did the same talks in both. Um, I probably wouldn't go twice in a year. And I also think as a web developer right now with HTML5 and this whole movement, it really is a turning point for the web. And I wanted to make sure that I was up to date with the technologies, uh, seeing what was coming. I, I think web widgets is, is definitely something I'd be interested in if I can build apps for any device really easily. Um, it just it seems like the web is moving away from websites and more to web applications. Um, it's, really, sure. it's really solidifying itself in that, in that area. Right, um, yeah. since the death of the web. <laughs> I don't know about that. The death of the web, I mean, the article by Chris Anderson. Right, yeah. He, so he, Chris Anderson, I think he's like the editor-in-chief for Wired, and he wrote an article a month or two ago called The Death of the Web where he talks about the – he shows some graph where it shows the growth in web and sort of mobile applications and how much faster that's growing than uh, the, the growth of the actual web traffic. But I saw a, a follow-up post by someone else, or a sort of a response written in, a, a post written in response to that article, which basically blew it away when you look at the statistics, which is that, yeah, you know, right now web apps are growing faster, but in aggregate it's much smaller, and uh, the, the web itself is still growing at a significant pace. It's web funny how there's, this, there's like this constant shift of, um, in society and in, in the tech world of of like framework to peer to framework to peer, like as in like a, a mainframe. So, you know, originally like the first computers were mainframes and then they start getting small. You get personal computers. Then we go to the web. Then we go to the web app. Right. So it keeps on kind of going out and in. Does that, does that make any it's sense? It's a pendulum. It's a pendulum. Yeah. And it does do that, and it does go back and forth. And I think the reason is is that you know once one starts to show that it can take it can take advantage or, or it can it can do things the other one can't. People who have in, have either an investment in the other side or can see opportunities in the other side push on the other side, and then it catches up, and it's just sort of this ratcheting effect, which which benefits everyone. Right. You know, it's a kind of a competition. So, yeah, I think you'll always see this um, heavy client heavy server-like client back forth. It'll constantly be shifting back and forth. There will never be any like true winner. They just, they'll have their, each will have their places and, and uh, it'll constantly be an evolving thing, I think. But Absolutely. Yeah, so Jason, you wanted to bring up a new topic. Yeah, I had a kind of a fun topic. I stumbled across this the other day and uh, this isn't new, but it's called um, How 20 Popular Websites Looked When They Launched. <laughs> And yeah. it shows like Google from 1996, and which and no surprise, I mean, it looked terrible, right? And the reason I brought it up, the reason I looked it up is after seeing The Social Network. Have you guys seen that yet? Yeah, no, not was, yet. It was a good movie. Yeah, it's entertaining. And they show, yeah. they actually show what the real Facebook, the, what Facebook really looked like in 2004 when it launched. And so yeah. I looked over here and it's like, sure enough, that's exactly what it looked like. And man, did it look like crap. I mean... <laughs> 
<laughs> Isn't it amazing that t- 2004 to 2010, six years to become a $25 billion company? Yeah, it's bonkers. Yeah. I mean, that's just unbelievable. What's amazing wow. to me, it, it, you know what's amazing to me, though, Justin, is when you look at these sites, it's like, it's one thing if, 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 if that's how, like, one of these big websites looked in 1995, right? So, like, if you look at, um, you know, what the Apple website looked in 1996, yeah, it looked terrible, or MSN, because the web was so new, nobody knew how to use it. Yeah. And, and Amazon in 1995 was pretty bad. But look at Twitter, the way it looked in 2006. I mean, it looked like complete ass. I mean, this is just like a few years ago. Well, that's because they, they, these guys, <laughs> they I mean, just, practiced MVP, right? They, they did. really did. Well, I mean, it's a great example, right? It just shows you. I mean, like Twitter, it wasn't like the thing like Twitter launched. Goes, oh, this thing's a joke. I'm not going to use it. I'm never coming back to this site because I've looked at it and it's clearly it's a joke. They just started out with something and it, and it literally looked like something that somebody had written. Somebody who didn't know web design used front page to create back in 1995. That's what it looks like. Well, that's the great thing. If you look at MSN.com, it just look, it looks absolutely terrible, absolutely. But if you look at Craigslist, it hasn't yeah. really changed. No, Craigslist <laughs> hasn't changed. Yeah, but, but you know, but you're right. MSN was 1995, right? The picture you're looking at there. Yeah. Twitter is 2006. <laughs> that was like last Thursday. But even the know? text doesn't fit on the box properly. Like the, the like the the way that the text actually is on the page. It just I mean, leaves off it, the like page. It, <laughs> it leaves off the. I, I can't wait to see the screenshot of your your website, guys, in in <laughs> two years. Well, no, it's fine. It just it, what it does is it, get, it kind of gets you off the hook. You don't have to worry so much about it. You don't have to. Hey, <laughs> if your first release kind of lame and ugly, you know, for the first few iterations, it's it's not a deal breaker. It's I mean, hell, you look at the, the texting. Um, website and it was literally we were vying for the ugliest website on the web I think weren't we Justin? Yeah I think you won <laughs> we did <laughs> well that, that first view of, of twitter.com there the, the, the one launched in 2006 I think that just goes to show that the idea of twitter is something that you can build in an afternoon <laughs> that's yeah, and that's what they started it. with. They they started with something yeah. simple and went from there. It wasn't anything like what it is now. And um, you know, Blogger. If you look at Blogger in 1999, oh my God, you know, wow. I mean, give me a break. I mean, these things are terrible. So, I just thought it's just fun to look back at them because you know, it's it's it's, it's like that myth when people you read about some startup and it's like, oh, they came to Silicon Valley and they got a little investment launch and then they're worth a billion dollars like six months later. It's like, no, that's not really how it worked. <laughs> You know, they've so, been around for a while and they sucked for a while, but they still managed to persevere and work. Do, do you think that after watching The Social Network, do you have a higher opinion or a low opinion of Mark Zuckerberg now? Are you talking to me or Alex? You. Because Alex didn't watch it. I've not oh, seen Alex, it. you haven't seen it yet? Oh, um, no. um, you know, I read, I read through some articles about how he screwed over a couple of his early partners, not only the Winglosses or whatever their name is, the Winglot. Winklevi. <laughs> the Wink, Winklevi, the Winklevi, and um, his, uh, was it Severin? Was it the Edward, Ed, Edwin or Edward Severin, his, his co-founder? Yeah. And he was a real jackass. I mean, he was really trying to screw him over. And so there's no question that the guy's a, a jackass. I mean, he just has, he just doesn't have any ethics, in my opinion. Um, does that mean that he's not a great, you know, uh, startup founder? Yeah, he clearly created Facebook, right? He, he created, he had a good idea and he pushed on it and pushed on it relentlessly. And he made something that's created a lot of value for a lot of people, obviously. But he's clearly, but in terms of how it affected me, I already knew a lot about him because I had read a bunch of these articles where I literally read like, dozens and dozens of the email exchanges and chats uh, logs well, the thing that the thing that the, the one thing that su- su- kind of surprised me is that this it was his his roommate basically invested the first 19,000 in the company mm-hmm. and had 30% stake in the company Alex 
And there was a point where, uh, as they got their first investment, they essentially signed over a deal, and they didn't. They they made it in such a way that this guy um, was going to get his stock. Di- if anyone else invested, the only person who was going to get diluted was this guy. Wow. Right? So he didn't know. So basically, what happened was the next round of investment came in, and this guy went from thirty percent to point zero zero three percent or something Ooh. like that. So. Um, I mean, the guy wasn't there. He wasn't available. Like when when they were when they were kind of really starting off Facebook, this guy was in New York and he was going on his own tangent that wasn't really related to Facebook. But even so, um, so I, I get that he wasn't really involved and that he didn't really help. That he just kind of went off. But even so, it seems a little bit excessive to get him to the point where he has less than half a percent of the company. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's, it's completely unethical. I mean, he sh- if, if if he thought that his co-founder wasn't you know, doing what he should be doing, wasn't investing the time or, or effort um, that, he, that he felt that he should. He should have said, listen, you know, you clearly want to do some other things. Maybe we should come up with a way that if you're not going to spend yeah, this time on IM, restructure it. But you don't pull a fast one and just steal all their equity. I mean, that's just it was, total crap. That's total. And, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, there's no excuse for that. And they basically tried to make Mark Zuckerberg, they tried to give you some sympathy for him. Like the way that, the way that he acted it, the way that they showed his face kind of tried to give you some sympathy for him. And they even tried to make him look, I guess, cool in a way. <laughs> but somehow it just, it just didn't pull off because the, th- the actual things that he was doing, you know, you can't really attach sympathy onto someone screwing over someone that badly <laughs> no I, I yeah that, that, there's no excuse for that and, and even what he did for the to the uh the winklevi i mean he should have been straight up with him and said listen you know when he realized that he didn't after a week or two that he didn't want to work with him he said listen I'm, i just have my own project i want to work on i'm sorry I'm, i can't i can't build this for you i mean instead of just like instead of like leading him on for months and then building competitor i mean that's just there's no excuse well it was pure i mean basically it was purely anti-competitive practice to because he knew that they were about to build something that was 100% in the exact same vertical it was an exact competitive product he didn't build their competitive product for 2 months and <laughs> built his own one so that he got out the he got out the starting gate 2 months ahead of them right was, yeah. it's disgusting yeah and for him to go and say you know they have that line in there where he's like oh you know they don't and which is even if you haven't seen the movie i'm sure you've seen it because it's been all over the previews and trailers which is that you know these no one in this room has the or especially the winkle i do not have the um intellectual or creative capacity to build something like with facebook otherwise i would have built it and that's right. just crap because that's just how that's just because so much of things in life are path dependent you know it's like he's if, if they had built something or if someone had written the code and they had iterated they may have come something similar to facebook Right, it's not that yeah. they wouldn't have, but but they got sort of sidetracked and derailed, and then they got to this big legal thing, so they never really got anything going because of that. And then Facebook was already there. So to say that, I mean, these guys are clearly smart guys, so they paint them as a couple of nincompoops just because he stole and got out of the gate first. It's just, it's, I think it was unfair to them. And I don't know. I just I don't I don't have any sympathy for Mark Zuckerberg. I think it just it just goes to that old one of my favorite Murphy's Law saying is there's always one more asshole than he counted on. <laughs> you know? Right. Do you think and the just, movie has helped or hindered Facebook at all? I think it. I don't think it'll affect anything. I think it doesn't make any difference. You don't think it might even help them by reaching a bigger audience? How can you get bigger than? I mean, five hundred million. I mean, it's it's already got such a huge saturation. It's all. It's going to grow anyway. I don't think it's going to make any difference. Yeah. No, I don't think it makes a difference. And it's funny because I know the you know that some of the Facebook PR people and I don't know some of the staff saw a, a an early version of. Um, 
where I had an opportunity to preview face, uh, the social network and yeah. their response to it was that they didn't like it. But I'm like, you know, even if it doesn't paint a, 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 a terribly flattering picture of um, Mark Zuckerberg, it's still better than reality. <laughs> it's still yeah, it's it. a lot better. That's what amazes me. Like even in this film, they they painted a really you know as good a picture picture of him as possible, and he still looks bad in the film. So think about in real life what he's like. <laughs> yeah, I just you know I, they try at least they try and give it sort of like a, a you know I think they try to make some excuses for what he did, but I don't know. It's a good movie though. I liked it. I enjoyed Isn't it. Isn't it a lot like the Bill Gates story? I mean, just in the same the same kind of ruthlessness. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that a, a lot of these success stories, there are certain um, there's a certain amount of ruthlessness that's that has happened. I mean, there are a lot. Of, I think there are plenty of examples of people who've succeeded without screwing other people over. But unfortunately, there are plenty of cases where people who who've succeeded be, in part because they screwed over some other people early on. Yeah, Bill Gates. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly. Bill Gates. Bill Gates pulled a fast one on. I think the guy was at the. MTS Altair or something like that was it the very first board for that they that they were gonna they, there was some guy out I don't know if it's California or Texas or where the guy was and they they made a deal with IBM and said they had this basic and they didn't but so they, what they did is they made a deal with this other guy and and bought it bought a perpetual license or something and then turned around and sold it to IBM telling IBM they already had it I mean that's right. not really unethical so much as that's just exploiting information asymmetry. I don't know if that's necessarily... Um, I mean, it's not like he was being particularly... I mean, if you are a really generous person, you might say, hey, we got this deal with IBM, you know, or we're going we're gonna to cut you in on a little bit of it, but that's not necessarily how business works anyway, so I don't know if you could really fall... I think that... But oh, one thing I'll say, though, is Bill Gates, is, there's plenty of companies when beyond... I'm talking about beyond early on, I mean, when they became a bigger company where they just crushed company after after company so there's tons of examples of there's no question about that i think that i'm just too nice to be that successful (laughs) i don't i don't i don't think it's about being nice i just think you need to not you can you can be nice to other people but you just don't allow other people to screw you over and that's sort of my new perspective because i'm successful and nice yeah absolutely i think i think if you if you're nice but you just have to be sort of like um careful about contracts and relationships knowing that if other people if there's enough if there's money on the line and they can come up with a rationalization to screw you they will so just don't get in a situation where they have an opportunity to do that that's sort of my new um or they have an incentive to do it so i got a one this one there's a few articles written on this was called why wasabi really lost to mint did you guys see that uh yeah so Mint was it was bought by um, was acquired by Quicken into it um, yeah. for like 170 million. They lost like 2004 or something at uh, TechCrunch 50, TechCrunch 40, and they essentially were like a way for small for for individuals to manage their finances. Right, it would pull in a bunch of data from like your bank accounts and things like that, and help you understand what you were spending your money on and things like things of that nature. And essentially what the guy said, the, who was the CEO of, of Wasabi, he said basically, you know, Wasabi spent a lot of time focusing on, on user security, like making sure that your data was very secure and that they, the information was accurate, things of that nature. Whereas what Mint focused on was getting your data in as quickly and easily as possible so there was almost no pain, even if it yeah. wasn't as accurate or as secure. And what the lesson that the Wasabi CEO took from the whole thing was – that 
if you you're you're really going to put yourself at an extreme advantage if you make make your user's experience productive and painless and quick as quick as possible so you get them up and you get them doing and you see results really quickly you don't make them do a bunch of work yeah other things like accuracy and security those are important but um, if if they come at the uh, at the expense of 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 quickness and um, and ease of use, then you're probably going to lose. And I thought that was a really good lesson to keep in mind because I've seen another couple of um, articles recently about. Uh, there's another article I read. Where was it? Just last night. It was called. Um, I can't find it right now, but essentially it was how Twitter has increased their uh, user signups by 29 percent because they did like a gradual sign up process in their forms. So rather than like the first thing you see, like the one of the worst things you can do when you when first someone comes to your website is just put up a big form that they have to fill out a bunch of information before they can do anything, right? You you want you you, you want to do like gradual engagement, like what's the least amount of work that you can require someone to do that you need to require someone to do before they actually start interacting. So you want to kind of show them what they can do, allow them to start experimenting, doing stuff, and kind of like in the process be asking them, being acquiring information like what's your email address. You know, do you want to put in a uh, password and username, you know, but do it, postpone it as much as possible so that if a user comes to your website or, and are looking at your web application or whatever, and they're like, oh, you know, what is this? And they start playing around and go, oh, this is kind of cool. Oh, this is neat. I'm getting productive. Okay, now I'll give you some, you know, my user info. But the last thing I want to do when I come to a website is start typing in and creating yet another account. Well, that's why the, um, the whole open ID thing and uh, mm-hmm. being able to sign in through Facebook and Twitter can, can really help you in that kind of way. Yeah, I think it helps, but you, you, I also I think what you want to do is not throw that in someone's face right away. Right, push yeah. that off. Like you know, mm. what what is this and why? What is this website or this web app and why should I care? Well, how would you do that with App Ignite, for example? I mean, basically, it, it seems like it's something that would be very difficult to just not have any kind of sign-in system. Yeah, I think I think what you want to do. I was thinking about this too. Is is um, one you want to show like some really cool sample applications as an option? Like here, take a look at some really cool apps that have been built. Two. Just type in the name of your app and start playing, or actually just start building an app right now, right? And then as you're going through the process, do you want to do you want to save you know save this? You can come back to it, right? Allow them to start building an app. Like, okay, what's the name of your app? You know, what's your primary data structure? What are the properties? Do you have any other data structures? You know, that's a really good idea because then because then they they once they've done a bit of work, they're like, crap, I, I really want to keep this, and they'll sign up. Exactly, but if you make them sign a bunch of bunch of stuff they, before they even convinced that it's what you what you have is worth it, you know, thirty seconds of their time, you're screwed. Because I think it was, uh, I think it was a post I read a while back by the guy, one of the founders of um, Posterous, um, Gary Tan, and one thing he said is that you're, and I, I think I'm attributing it to the right person, is your biggest competitor on the web is not another company; it's the back button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's what you need to be thinking about. And that's just why, why you know, the whole Google had brought us a couple of years ago where they did a bunch of analysis on how important it is for, for load pay, uh, how fast, how important it is to have your pages load quickly. Load speed is critical because if it goes beyond, you know, 0.7 seconds or whatever it is, you know, you just start having huge drop offs in people. They just don't want to wait back. You know, forget it. And I think, you know, worrying about competitors, I mean, yeah, you need to keep an eye on what's going on in the competitive landscape, but you don't want to be obsessed with it. You just need to make sure your back button, you know, people's time, people's patience is what you need to worry about. So did you guys actually use Mint or Wasabi? I've, I've used Mint, yeah. I, I think it's pretty good. Um, it's not 
the most amazing thing I've ever used, but I mean, it's not bad. It's good. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually used Wasabi, or used, I should right. say. Um, and, and when they said that they were closing down, it, it was kind of annoying. Because one of the things I found really useful about it was just that they would quite easily record my banking statements. And banks don't keep more than 12 months records online, uh, which is really annoying. So Wasabi actually was great for that. It could just keep, it was my own personal sort of archiving thing. Mint, and it looks great, but it's only for America, uh, American banks. And, and, and so I couldn't actually sign up to it, which is, which is sad. Well, it also sounds like Wasabi um, had a lot. I mean, I'm guessing they had a huge cash cash flow issue then, right? They must have had a really big cash burn. So um, maybe if they'd somehow uh, been a more lean startup, um, they could have succeeded. Oh yeah. Well, I yeah. The guy, the um, the the CEO, I, I think was uh, well. I don't want to throw the name out there and just guess, but he 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 listed some things that may have been issues, but. You know, and I'm not sure if this the size or any of these other things really are, were that big of a deal from his perspective. Anyway, it was just literally like having a quick, a very quick positive user experience. That was mm-hmm. the most important thing. Get people. Mark Headland. Mark Headland. That's what I was going to say, but I didn't want to throw it out there and be like completely off. But yeah, that's that's what I thought. So yeah, you know, another another thing that's interesting. Another topic is there was a there was a an article I read. It was actually on Scribd. Have you ever seen? You know what Scribd is? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Script is a place where you can upload documents, and um, it's called the, the the article I read was called "Why Combinator is a Waste of Time," <laughs> and uh, it really should have just been a blog post. But for some reason, the guy just uploaded it was like you know two pages or something, and I think the guy's name is Max Klein, and he he has uh, you know he has his own startup, and he basically. Well, I'll get into his tar- article in a second, but one thing I thought was interesting about the idea of putting stuff up on Scribd, which is the same reason why it might not be a bad idea for put- us to put our podcast up on, on YouTube, is that you watch something and then they're like related documents. Like people who've seen this also like this other thing. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, how many times have you been on YouTube and you go to video and then you watch something else because it pops up and it's like, oh, that's kind of, that looks cool too. Yeah. 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 Or you've been on Amazon and you search for a book and they're like, people who bought this also bought this other one. And you're like, oh, you need to start looking well, up. I mean, there is, look, Jason, there's no doubt about it. I mean, we do the absolute bare minimum of a podcast. I mean, we do not, we, we should be publishing to lots of different podcast directions. We should be pushing to YouTube and, and um, vid, it, what is it called, Vimeo? I mean, all, yeah. the, all those different places, which we don't. But, right. you know, we've got, we've got a life to live. Yeah, well, I don't know. If that's an excuse. I mean, you know, it depends on. You're right, right. We we do have to. <laughs> I mean, if it takes an extra thirty minutes of time a week, maybe we should do it. If it takes three hours, that's probably not doable. But it's something that we th- we're thinking about. But I, I was wasn't mean. I wasn't meaning to bring it up in terms of the podcast, but just right. in general, the idea of submitting, say, instead of writing just a blog post, if you're going to go and write something that's going to be more than just a couple paragraphs, it's more than just a a, a quick thought. It's more like a an article that it might not be a bad idea to create a script document of it and upload it because of the referral, you know, discovery process that's built into script. So why does he think Y Combinator is no good? Well, you know, what's interesting. He, he, he starts off and he talks about how his brother had started a band and they were like an indie band. Uh, I guess he was sort of like, what was the, um, Lincoln Park meets uh, Green Day or something like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> or Limp Bizkit meets, meets Green Day or something. And he said, you know, they were actually good. And, you know, they weren't 
amazing, but they were they were good and they worked hard. He's like, but what they didn't do, he said, well, all he ever did, his brother did, is they would go out. He would constantly hound, um, you know, the labels trying to get a deal, but he never went out and tried to build an audience. Um, right. Just going out and week in and week out touring and doing gigs and build and slowly building up a following, um, which which he could have then leveraged into a separate revenue source outside of labels, I guess, you know, just selling his own CDs, or he could have used that to, to demonstrate that they have traction and a, an audience to get a, a deal with a label. I mean, Justin, I'm sure you can talk a lot more about well, that 95% process. Well, 95% of deals, if, even with labels, are, are done that way. I mean, it's, it's the same as getting investment. Like, you need to show that you've got a product that people are interested in, in by, by basically doing those gigs and getting people to come to your, your gig every week and then you get the record label to to come around and see your gig and see that you've got a whole bunch of fans right. and it's only then that they can be convinced i mean if you're just if you're just a person with a couple of songs there's no proving ground i mean they yeah. they may give you what's called like a, a seed investment mm-hmm. <laughs> i guess it's called a seed investment in the um in the tech world as well and they'll just give you that seed investment to start trying to get that all together so that you can set yourself up with a band so that you can buy venues and stuff but it's basically the same process yeah, and um, it, it reminded me, I saw like a couple, you know, two or three weeks ago, I saw a, a biography of the band Aerosmith. Oh, yeah, and, you were telling us about yeah, this. Yeah, and the same thing, it was just the same thing. It's like they got one, they had their first record came out, and it kind of flopped, and, and the uh, label was going to drop them, wasn't going to fund or put in the money for a second second album so they said they convinced the manager aerospace manager convinced the label to give us you know i think it was a year or so and they're going to go out on the road and tour for a year and build up an audience and they did and then they came back and then their next album they made it the label agreed to make it because they were able to build up a big you know a, a reasonable audience and but they had to do the hard work of it and what this guy is saying what max klein is saying is that look you know if you're just going to Y Combinator, because you're just, you're, it's just like going direct to the label. You know, if you're going direct to the VCs, I mean, it's, it's, it's just like one of the VCs. You're trying to pitch to a small group of people who are going to decide yay or nay whether your idea is any, is any good. And then you're just trying to get some investment based on that without actually going out and building something people want and proving it out in the marketplace first. He's like, just, just go and do it. Just build it. You don't need anyone's permission. You really don't need any money. Just go and build the damn thing and build some kind of an audience by yourself, and you may not even need the investment. But that's what Y Combinator is all about. I mean, they have the special T-shirt that they give you that mm-hmm. basically has written on the front, I built something that people want. <laughs> yeah, no, so I, I, I don't think, so I, I think that he's sort of overstating, because I think Y Combinator is much, it's sort of a bridge. It's not yeah. like you're going straight with your idea or your prototype and, and talking to VCs and angel investors. They're trying to give you three months to go from having that prototype or that idea to having something and having some customers. Because we, we interviewed Jessica Ma from Indonero. That's yeah. what she did, right? I mean, they built something and they got out there from customers and she spent the entire three months, you know, not only working the product, but talking to hundreds of customers. She talked, she went to the office offices and sat for an hour or more with, I said, two to three dozen um, actual users. So yeah. it was almost like going out on the road. I mean, and she did literally went out on the road. She went out and talked to people and built a customer base and then was able to leverage that into further funding. But anyway, the guys, I think, like I said, I think the guy's article has some strength, has some points, but I don't think it applies to Y Combinator so much. I think it applies to people who are trying to go get seed investment without building a, a customer base first. Alex, why don't you, do you have a, any, anything else, any other topics you'd like to bring up? The, the only other thing I've, I've got written here 
is um, I wanted to ask you about your Mac, Jason. Okay. And, and how it was going because I, I'm in exactly the same boat or was in exactly the same boat and I had the same keyboard woes and the copy and paste muscle memory going on and it was freaking me out. Right. Um, and, but, but I think I'm about four months in, four or five months in now, and uh, it's great. I absolutely love my MacBook Pro. I'm, um, I, think I'm, I think the Mac and I have, have come to a truce. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's no longer painful, but there's still things that irritate me about it that I wish that it didn't do. And um, I'm trying to decide. Like, I, I still don't like the, um, you know, the dashboard. You know, put all the icons on the bottom. I kind of like yeah. having the, the the task bar when I could see. I felt like I could see more easily see what what I was using, what uh, what what um, applications I had open. Um, I don't know if there's a way configuring it differently that'll work better for me, but I don't like that as much. Um, I hate it that you can only resize in a window by the right corner. I think that is absolutely retarded. I, I agree. I agree. That is the dumbest thing ever. And and when you maximize a window and it doesn't maximize, what the hell yeah. is that? I've just found a very cool new way of working with that taskbar thing. Um, I don't know whether this is going to suit you guys, but basically I've put, I've docked it on the left rather than on the bottom and then leave it open all the time. And I find that amazing because you get all, you get all your vertical real estate and you can, it's, it feels a lot more sensible as a signal path to move from the left to the right. I've done exactly the same thing. And, and I've even auto-hide, I auto-hide it. I don't like it at all. So I, I have the whole screen apart from the very top bar. Uh, and when I move to the left, it just it shows itself. Well, I like, I like having it open all the time because I can see the little lights, which are, by the way, when it's, when it's on the left versus on the bottom, the little lights are much clearer to see which apps are on and which apps are off. There's certain things I do like about the Mac. I mean, I like my big, I, my 27-inch iMac screen or whatever it is, <laughs> wow. it's a ginormous screen. It's really pretty, and I, I my actually I was using my old Dell keyboard, but it, it died. I got a key got stuck and wouldn't become unstuck, so I end up going back to the the wireless keyboard. And my fingers have gotten used to it. I don't think I'm quite as fast on it yet. I'm probably at ninety percent speed, so it's not for a while there because of things like the cut and paste differences and some of the other, uh, you know. I don't, they're almost like ticks. Like there were just things that my hands did every time that wouldn't work. Yeah. Same. It, it was it was absolutely infuriating. Um, but now I, I've 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 seen like I've surpassed that and I've got to the point where it's okay. But I still don't like it that for instance, like the home and end which I used to have, which would go to the front and start of a line. Now I have to use like control left right arrow. Like I have to hold down two keys to just do that. Like that just drives me crazy. But again, those are just only applicable to me. <laughs> So I think other people. No, like, same with me. Whenever I code, I mean, coding was was a nightmare. Flicking to the end of the line or the ho- or the beginning of the line, uh, I'd <sighs> always do that. And and now I basically I avoid it. <laughs> I avoid it <laughs> in the ass, which is stupid, really. But but I do. Yeah. So I I, I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't think it's like. Because the three or four people that I talked to, friends of mine like Justin, who are smart guys, who had been. Are very technical, either who are either coders or power users, and had been purely Windows users, and they moved over to Mac. They they were unanimous in saying you will go back, you will you will never want to go back. It'll be the best decision you ever made. Trust me, go get it. And I, you know, I can't say that I'm I'm in that camp. I I wouldn't say someone who's a who's a comfortable Windows power user and say, oh, you would just it'd be awesome. Your life will be well. You're still new to it. You're only you're not even a month in yet. 
Like yeah. it, when you're three months in, I think that's that's when you. Because we'll see, but yeah, I can tell you. I can tell you how I feel now. So I feel like yeah. there's some things that are better. My old machine sucked, though. I mean, it was like six years old. It was like barely working. So just having a, a machine that's fast and works. Basically, owning a Mac is like Scientology. There are, there are stages that you've got to go through. And the higher yeah. levels you go, the more, the more money you have to pay. Yeah, you know, everyone says that. And then, you know, eventually you know that the world's run by aliens. Right, and then you're then you're uh, you're you're a full fledged cult. You're in it's, a, the, yeah. it's the Xenu. You you haven't seen the Xenu yet. When you see the Xenu, then you're going to understand. Well, what's the Scientology theory? Is that that these alien spirits that are inside our bodies or something? Oh no no no, they're inside volcanoes. But I thought no, that's just the commercial, isn't it? No no, they come from volcanoes, and uh, they they invade our bodies. Yep. Right, they invade our bodies. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay, well, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not in pain anymore, so I'm okay with it um, and getting productive. I think one of the hardest things is finding the software that you want to use, too. Oh, uh, the, keyboard, yeah. the, the keyboard was the biggest nightmare of all, and the second of that was like, okay, now i got to go find replacement software for everything and, you know, text editors and FTP clients and... Did, did I tell you about, stuff. in the comments, did I tell you about the uh, SVN? Because Tortoise SVN on, on Windows is, is just brilliant. Yes, but, it is. Um, I, I was using versions. I think I think there was a show you guys were talking about this, and uh, uh, Justin, you were recommending using versions. Yeah, uh, is it versions? Yeah, versions, which I found I found to be a lot more stable than the other one, the code. Cornerstone. Uh, Cornerstone, it's, it's really good, and I was trialing it for a month, and and then I I, I bought it, and I, I literally bought it, and the day after, I realized there was a free plugin for Eclipse, and I installed that, and I've been using that ever since. I haven't touched versions. Yeah, I use Cornerstone, although the – so I've been using it, except my um, trial ran out about two weeks ago. And so I haven't been able to commit anything, so i got to have this mega commit <laughs> as soon as I – Let me guess, you've gone back to zipping up all of your, your I, I did. I made a couple, but I've actually just been really <laughs> – you know, I haven't done much of anything. I made a couple of backup directories just temporarily just to play it safe. I'm like, but the problem was is that I wanted to put it on my business credit card, but my business card expired and I got a new one. But for some reason, it hasn't been activated. And I've tried to contact the bank. So it's just been this me going back and forth with the bank to like, when are you going to activate my credit card? So I can't make I can't process a payment unless I put it on my personal, which I don't want to do. You know, and so I now it's going on two weeks and I got all this code. And I, I mean, what's the what's the law going to be? The comments, the description. I made a ton of changes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. You but could I check like, them well, in like bit by bit. Ugh, you forget. I'm just going to just commit everything and be done, move on. But, you know, everything that I, I, I like Cornerstone, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I don't like anything as much as like Tortoise Git, or Tortoise SVN, because you just right click on, on a directory using in Windows Explorer and just say, you know. Uh, so you were saying about Eclipse. The one thing you didn't like about Eclipse? The one thing I didn't like about Clips, which was a lot, which is like a lot of software that I found, is it's not, it doesn't look and feel like native um, Mac software, OS X software. It's kind of like Java sort of hybrid cross-platform stuff, which I, you know, I find kind of frustrating. What yeah, I guess, I guess because it is. Um, I, I use Zen Studio for Eclipse. I, I love it. Um, I have done for years, and uh, it, it, the whole uh, debugging thing was just a revelation for me to, to be able to debug PHP scripts. So I've just stuck with it. 
Um, I know how to use it really well. Obviously, years of practice, so I think it's awesome. But there is a whole load, a whole world of options in there. It can be really overwhelming and confusing, but uh, I've learned them all bit by bit. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I looked at it. I, I right now I'm just sticking with Komodo Edit because it's free, and you know I'm just sort of you know after a while I'm hoping like, to move you to Ultra Edit when that comes out for the moment. <laughs> that look, yeah, that look. That looked interesting when it comes out. I, I, I at some point I just got productive enough, and I was just like, okay, I'm done trying out software. I've been trying out software for like two weeks. I just, I'm just over it. I, you know, I just, I got to start writing code. Quit. Screwing. Yeah, what, whatever works. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I can't, that I haven't found yet, that I, or something I'm really comfortable with, is like image editing software. I've been experimenting with Seashore and experimenting a little bit with Paintbrush, which is kind of like a, you know, MS Paint equivalent. Um, but I haven't found anything that I'm, that I'm really comfortable with that I can actually, I feel like I can really edit and, 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 and really screw around with images, which is frustrating because that's part of the, you know, coding process is you got to create some kind of, you know, create some logos or create some simple stuff. And you just like, ugh, I can't even, I can't do it. <laughs> I just want to go over to my windows laptop just to do a little bit of the image editing and then, and, and, <laughs> and you know, set it, save it in Dropbox and come back to my Mac. I'm so frustrated. Doesn't doesn't the iLife thing come with some stuff to do something like that? I don't know. I, I, I know that I had read somewhere that they had some kind of like a paint type of program that came with Macs, but then it stopped being shipped with OS ten and then someone wrote like this paintbrush. You know, it's free. I see. It's called paintbrush right. and it's just like you know, and that and that's really simple. I mean it's it's not like it has anything it doesn't do anything with layers or anything that's remotely sophisticated i mean it's just simple bitmap bitmap graphics editor i think there's some there's a there's a, a piece of software called gimp yeah yeah uh, that, th- that does layers and stuff but i don't think the interface is very nice which is the yeah. best name for a piece of software ever yeah <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so seashore seashore looks is pretty sophisticated it looks like i mean it's not i don't think it's like um you know photoshop or anything but it's kind of like halfway from you know, paintbrush to Photoshop, you know, Seashore would probably take, if you're not a professional designer who's, who's doing all kinds of sophisticated graphics, but this uh, it looks like Seashore might be it, but it's just, I, it's just my learning curve. I, now I have to relearn how to do all this simple stuff, which is again, yeah. frustrating, right? You just, at some point you just like, I just got to get productive. I got to quit reading user manuals and doing trials. All but, right. Well, on that happy note, I think we should consider, uh, Finishing off the show. Yeah. Oh, one last thing, Justin. So, when are we going to send out our, our our mailing list, our texting mail uh, mailing list thing? When are you going to do that? Well, how many people? I mean, there's only like 55 people on it. Well, I've got to start somewhere. <laughs> well, what are we going to send? I don't know. We got to do it though. We keep talking about. It. We haven't done anything. Well, let's yeah, just stop talking I'm about it. it. Then we don't. I'm on the mailing we, list. Right. If we stop talking about it, then we don't have to do it. <laughs> that's what I, I. That's why I brought it up because I knew you were thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well so, uh, listen how about uh, you know what i hereby delegate the full responsibility of mailchimp and the mailing list to you to alex i, I, I knight you sir <laughs> I think we should get you sir Ax- mailchimp no no i because i gotta spend all this time inviting guests i have a bunch of guests i need to invite i oh, do God. that i don't have time for it Okay, I guess I'll do it then. All right, now I'll help you with it. But yeah, also, I just want to remind people, anybody who's interested in checking out the App Ignite private beta, which is coming soon, uh, go to appignite.com and uh, just leave your email address. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, anybody who would be willing to write a, a blog post about TechZing, um, we will be more than happy to uh, mention you on the show and uh, give you a, a shout-out. So Hey, 
Alex, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, it's been awesome. great, Alex. It's been great. Um, and we'll have to we'll have to have Alex on again sometime uh, in the future. Do you think, Justin? Yeah, definitely. I'll bring more bring topics. Up. Yeah, you bring us some topics next time. How many topics <laughs> did you bring? I like Two. three, three, three or four, five. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's better than Justin for crying out loud. Oh God. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm going to bring on uh, my uh, my buddy Phil, who I started my first, who, who I co-founded my first startup with, um, in maybe the next few weeks too. So we'll we'll do another one of these discussion with uh, guest shows. Okay. And uh, yeah, I think it worked out pretty well. Yeah. So thanks again, Alex, for coming on. And all right, that's a wrap. We're out. How'd you like your first podcast? That was awesome. Uh, it's not my first podcast. It's second podcast. Is oh, it, yeah. Justin? Yeah, because because we did we did um, in in with Why You Know we started doing a podcast. We did one episode. We called it this week about about tech twat. Right. <laughs> 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 uh, so you guys did one, and then you just never did another one, or what? No, we did we did a couple. I think I think we did maybe two, two, maybe even three, maybe. But we basically got beers. We sat in the conference room and we got drunk and we talked about stuff. And why did you stop doing it? It's a good question. I think people. It was like after work, and people wanted to go. That's that's why, because basically, it is. It wasn't as easy to do as the one that we do, Jason. Because basically, we don't go to the same place. What what we had done with this was I did, we'd invited a, um, a number of devs from First Consult to basically meet up with us every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So every Wednesday night, like four or five people would have to get into the same room and we record it around the same mic. Ah, so right. that was basically too much effort to sustain. Yeah, I think so much about success in anything is is doing something that's personally personally sustainable. Yeah, you know. Whether it's, you know, going to the gym, you got to find a gym that you like going to that's nearby. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, doing a blog, you got to be able to, to, if you can't sustain it, there's no point. And I think some of these things are just, people aren't able to construct a context in which it's something sustainable. Which is probably why your daily show, changing your daily show is such a good idea, because you're going to do something now which is much more sustainable. Yeah, yeah, it was clear that wasn't sustainable, and our, I mean, it's, it's it's been pretty pretty clear that this has been sustainable. I mean, I think both Justin and I are, you know, it's just a certain amount of work, but it's it's enough that we don't feel overburdened by it, right? Yeah, it's not too much. It's just at the limit. <laughs> if it if it took another hour or two a week, I think it would cross that board line and just be too much. It's it's great. It's such a good show. I can't tell you guys how much I enjoy listening to it, especially hearing you guys bat ideas off each other and me sort of on the tube. Going into London, going no, Jason, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know it's funny. It's like I suddenly, I, somewhere along the lines, I became the bad cop. <laughs> That's the good cop. Would you get that? Oh, no, I, I do it to Justin as well. It's just recently, it's been you. That's what we should do. We should actually call. You know the way that in No Agenda they have crackpot and buzzkill. Uh huh. We should call ourselves the good cop and the bad cop. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to have that sort of moniker. I don't think I'm the bad guy. Okay. <laughs> but uh we should do yeah, yes or no with Jason Roberts. <laughs> that, that's hilarious. You've gotta do that. <laughs> just I can imagine Obama clip just him going, Yes. Yes. No. <laughs> so we're talking about version control system. Blah, 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 blah. What do you think? Yes. Okay, well next <laughs> I swear to God, you could you could totally do that on your own. You wouldn't need anyone.
<laughs> yeah, would definitely make fun of myself, that's for sure. Or take the piss out of it. Yep. They say. You well, got guys, it. I should get going. I got to take Colby and I are going to do some free running, going to the gym. So nice. I got to drive all the hell the way over to Northridge, which is like 45 minutes away. So that's what I'm doing for the next four hours. <laughs> well, all right, Al, look, thanks a lot for, thanks a lot for coming on it. And um, I'll, yeah. I'll let you know when it's, when it's posted. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. You're, thanks for coming on. It was a lot really of fun. Enjoyed it. It was really yeah. nice meeting you too. Cool. Talk to you guys, guys. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So do you have any topics today, Alex? Uh, I've got, I've got a few, I guess. Um, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how long is the show going to be? So it's usually an hour and a half. Okay, I got, I got like 10. Don't worry. So if you guys, whatever you guys are lacking, I can fill in. I okay. got zero. I know. You got zero. So yeah. you, you tweet, uh, some awesome, awesome topics. Oh, do you like that? Oh, well, that's just because that's just because of Plugio. I basically have the feed, you know, some good tech feeds in there, and anything I find interesting, I tweet. Yeah, that's yeah. why I find his Twitter account a load of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love so, it. He's I love a bot. It. He's a publishing bot. Like, I if yes. I want to go to Reddit or Dig, I'll go to Reddit yeah. or Dig. I don't need. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because every day I scan through those and I tweet only the interesting stories. I mean, so much crap gets posted to Hacker News and Reddit yeah. and Dig and all that stuff, right? I just post the interesting ones. And I appreciate that because you, you're filtering it out for me so I don't have to exactly. look through that crap. But, um, but I get also get the sense you don't often read a lot of what you, t- <laughs> what you tweet either. <laughs> Why? He doesn't even read what we talk about on the damn show. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I, <laughs> In actual <laughs> fact, I don't even talk on the show. I mean, it's literally <laughs> yeah. like there's, there is, I, I, well, as, as Jason's pointed out before, I am a, um, an AI. Oh, really? You're a bot? <laughs> yeah. I don't even exist. You're actually it, just uh, Jason's uh, experiment. Yeah. It's it's more like an ASI, like artificially sort of intelligent. <laughs> artificially semi-intelligent. Working with you for three years was, is just implant, you know, it's just inception from Jason. Like, you don't even exist. <laughs>